Hello and welcome back to Flash Knockdown, the weekly podcast from Matchroom Boxing, episode eight. We're back in the UK this week for our show in Nottingham this Saturday, of course, live on DAZN. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, joined as always by my colleague, producer Scott Hamilton, and here's what we have coming up on today's show. The Cobra Cole Froch, he joins us to recall some of his devastating wins here in the city. We'll hear from Hannah Rankin and Terry Harper, who went face-to-face ahead of this weekend's world title clash, million-dollar Anthony Crawler. He looks to leapfrog into the Dance Partners leaderboard. Founder of The Edge High Performance Centre, Scott Robinson. He joins us to talk all things fighter performance, nutrition and health. And heavyweight hope, Sol Dakins, runs over the best things to happen in boxing last week. Don't go anywhere. Now, where better place to start than with the Sheriff of Nottingham himself? We caught up with Cole Froch to reflect on his big nights in the city, his rivalry with George Groves, which of course concluded in front of 80,000 fans at Wembley Stadium. Well, as we are here in Nottingham, there could only be one man for this job on this week's reflection on the podcast. Four-time world champion, the Sheriff of Nottingham himself, the Cobra, Mr Cole Froch. How are you, sir? How's life? I'm good, thank you. You know what? I actually handed over the Sheriff badge to Lee Wood when he became champ. <laughs> so I can't I can't quote that accolade anymore, but I'm happy to take it for this for this um, purposes. Of course, we're we're in Nottingham, and it was due to be Lee Wood fighting Mauricio Lara. He's been forced out of that fight for injury. How disappointed were you, Cole, when you heard that? More more so for Lee that you heard this fight. Well, was both. Injured. I was about to say I'm, I'm gutted, mate. Gutted for as a fight fan for what was going to be a great fight, really competitive fight. I mean, I think Lee would have. Yeah, Lee's got the ability to beat Laura and he can he can do it, but it's one of them where if you if someone's gonna push you off a cliff and you've got to guess right, you're probably gonna guess Laura. You're probably gonna go there, but I'd I'd always pick Lee Wood over anyone because you know he's he's like I say, he's a sheriff of Nottingham, he's, he's my mate, I've known him for years and he's got the ability. He showed that in his last fight against Conlon. You know, he came back from the from the brink of getting beat with a performance that was just brilliant. I, I just um still getting over that fight. I watched it back again the other day, the last two rounds. Um, not just because I was commentating on it, but just because it was a great fight. And um, yeah, gutted for Lee Wood as much as I am for the fans, but more so for Lee Wood because he's, what is he now? He's 30, early 30s, getting on a little bit, especially in his weight division. He needs to be busy now. He needs the big fights. Um, you know, he's a prize fighter. He wants to get some money in the bank. And he, he's had a slow career where he's now sort of in his prime, he's peaking, ready for a couple of big wins. And then he's done it. He's, he's, he's beat the matrix, as I say. He's, he's, he's cracked life. So to pull out of an injury, I hope he don't need an operation. I don't think it does. It's a torn bicep. So I'm being I'm heard. I'm being told it's eight weeks. So that means he just needs to get some blood flow in there, get it repaired, some soft tissue work, and hopefully he's good to go. If he needed an operation, that would have could have potentially been career ending. And that's how bad that injury is. But no, glad he's um, going to be back. Good that it's not on, but it'll be rescheduled. I'm looking forward to him doing the business. You mentioned that Mick Condon fight there, Carl. Where does that rank in terms of the most dramatic finishes you've seen to a fight? Certainly from from a fight you're calling ringside. Uh, it's it's right up there, mate. It's probably top five. And um, I'm going back. I'm going back to when I boxed. I mean, I boxed um, Jermaine Taylor in a comeback win from my first world title defeat. Defeat. Um, sorry, defense. Many years ago, back in 2000. Was that nine? 2009, April 29. Um, so. When you look at them comebacks, coming back right in the last seconds, I mean, 
I was behind, but for the last two or three rounds, I was getting to Taylor and it was like kind of the writing was on the wall. With Lee Wood, he was coming on strong, but I don't think many people in that arena believed he was actually going to win the fight. If it went the distance, he'd have lost on points for sure. Same as me with Taylor, but to pull the stoppage out the way he pulled it out in the, in the, in the last round, it was honestly, mate, it's a top, it's a top three now. I've just, I've just upgraded it to top three stoppages <laughs> of all time. Special, so special, wasn't it? I mean, and the atmosphere as well in there. You must have been proud. Seeing yeah, Nottingham's fan base. Lee, Lee's been able to to build himself a great fan base over the last couple of fights. He has, yeah, and that's because he's putting in the performances. He's looking good. Nottingham's quite a hard sell. I don't know if I should say that on the podcast, but I don't know. We've got a Premier League team now in Nottingham Forest. We're in the Prem, so that's that's good for the city. But um, I boxed my world title here back in 2008 against Sean Pascal, and it was half full, a decent crowd, but you know they didn't come out. They came out when I lost to Ward, then came and boxed um, in my my first real big fight on Sky back with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom against um, Lucian Butte um, back in 2012, I think it was. Was it 2012 that one? Yeah, it must have yeah, been. Over 10 um, years now, Carl. Time flies. Yeah, bloody hell, it does good quick. My son's 12 now, 12 years old. It's mad. I look at him every day and think, bloody hell, how did that happen? But it just <laughs> it just goes quick. But yeah, that, that fight there in Nottingham was packed, packed to the roof. I mean, it's, it's got a lid on it because it's an arena. It was just amazing, the atmosphere. Obviously, all my friends and family and people I went to school with. and no, Nobody thought I'd win. So when I started smashing him to bits in round two and three, Tony Bellew, <laughs> ringside. I can never forget him bouncing up and down like a lunatic. Eddie, yeah, Eddie Hearn jumping in the ring a bit early and just, just, just amazing. Probably one of my best nights, to be honest, in boxing. I mean, I've had some great nights and some great wins and comebacks. And I've been beat and I've come back. The Kessler, the Kessler rematch was good. But that fight in Nottingham for me was special. And I think Lee Wood will find it very difficult to, to ever top that night in Nottingham against um, poor old Conlon, who's a great fighter, by the way. And he was, he was a little bit unlucky that night. But, you know, men make their own luck, don't they? And Lee Wood finished strong and he deserved the win. You mentioned the Butte fight there, Cole. You know, you mentioned that perhaps you were the underdog heading into that one. How much did that spur you on at the time to, to go in there and get the job done in front of your people? Being the underdog spurred me on because um, I was thinking I've got a guy here coming in from Canada who's not really got a massive resume. All right, he's won everything, beat everyone who's been in front of him, beat McGee. I think he beat Reed. Uh, he beat Edison Miranda. He had a couple of wins on his record where he thought, okay, he's a tricky southpaw, he can box a bit. But I was looking at him at the um, press conference and I thought to myself, he looks a little bit like Mr. Bean. And <laughs> he's coming, <laughs> he's a dead friendly guy. He's coming into Nottingham, my hometown, and I'm fuming because I just lost to Andre Ward. Lucian Butte, I took it out on him. Poor old Butte. It was in Nottingham. He came over here, made a mistake, coming to my hometown, and I just absolutely backed him up and smashed him to bits. Too big and too strong, as the saying goes. I love the ring walk, Carl. No easy way out. That's oh, mate, I thought, yeah, a lot of people thought I was going to lose. Eddie said, look, take an easy fight. We'll, we'll, we'll make a few quid, get you back on Sky, and then we'll go for it. I was like, listen, I can't get motivated. I've had, I've had the WBC twice. I've but the, um, I've had the WBA. This is for the IBF. Let's let's go. It's a world title. And he's like, well, you can earn the same money for an easy touch, but I admire your, you know, your balls and your bravery. So I said, listen, I'm 34 years old, 33, 34. I need a world title to get motivated. And I'll beat this kid. I know I will. Because Rob McCracken told me I'll beat him. No problem. That proved, Carl, didn't it, to be a, your penultimate fight at the arena, I believe. I think you stopped Yusuf Mack. Was that six months later, maybe? Did you know... At that point, it was likely to, to be your last fight at the arena. And with all due respect to Nottingham Arena, there was there was big, big nights coming your way. Um, uh, You know what? I, I wasn't that sure because I was never really... 
I was never really looking for the the big time and you know the Las Vegas big fight and the, the stadium fight for sure. I never thought that was on the cards. I was just I just enjoyed boxing. I enjoyed fighting. I just used to train and make sure I trained hard. Um, ticked all the boxes in camp. Made sure the spine was right. Listened to Rob. And just tried to enjoy it as much as I could because I was quite nervous. I, I used to enjoy the fighting and I used to love the training. But the last, you know, the last week or so, getting close to the fight when you're taking them last few pounds off. And I did the weight quite easy, to be honest, until I got to like 33, 34. Then I was taking five or six pounds off, off of, off a frame that had 4% body fat and, you know, just enough muscle to stand up and walk straight and stand up and spar before the weigh-in. There was not much to come off me. And um, I, I didn't want to dehydrate because I know that's dangerous. So I just starved to death <laughs> for a week or two before the fight. Made sure I kept my fluid in me. So the enjoyment was going. Um, but I never really thought oh, I'm going to be headlining in Vegas or selling 80,000, I said it, 80,000 at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> I never thought that was in the, in the the um, on the cards for me. So, you know, when I boxed in Nottingham against you, Seth Matt, which was the question, actually. Sorry about the waffle again. Um, I just thought I'll enjoy it. It's my first marked time fight, and it's my first pretty easy fight, I suppose, um, for years, because I've boxed back-to-back world titles um, against top-level fighters. Just look at my resume. I won't, I won't bore you from the fights from Pascal right up to the, the Mikel Kessler rematch. I fought everybody um, who was the top of the division. Um, so to fight Yusuf Mack, I didn't take him lightly, but in my head I was thinking, okay, he's ranked in the top 10. He's just be, he's just had a good fight with Tavares Cloud. So he's a decent, like, test. But really, coming to Nottingham, he's going to get battered. And that's what I did. Body shot, folded him in half like a deck chair. That's a Ricky Hatton line. And um, easy win. How is the uh, how's the dynamic, Carl, with, with you and George these days? Yeah, it's sound. You know what? He's a nice kid. I like him. He's quite funny. He's got a bit of a sense of humour. He's... I've been listening to his podcast as well. I'll give that a little plug. plug. George Groves, I forgot what it's called, but George Groves has got a podcast and uh, he had Shane McGuigan on the other day talking about pad work. Um, you might have to be a bit of a boxing purist to enjoy it, but yeah, he's doing that. But he's got kids. He's, he's matured. He's grown up. He's got, a, he's got a barnet now on the top of his head. He's had that banged in, which I keep reminding him about. Mine's started to fucking fall out now, so I've got to be careful. You've got to ask him where he goes from. <laughs> I'm taking the piss out of everyone. Mine's, I'm getting 45 now. I'm all right, though. I'm hanging in there. It's, it's strong. Um, but no, Groves is sound. I get on with him. He's a good, he's a good lad. He is. I, I genuinely get on with him. Like he messages me every now and again. He wants to get me on his podcast. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot down to London um, when I get time. And um, yeah, just keep in touch. He's asked me a bit of advice on a few little bits. And um, just, um, it's good. I'm seeing him tomorrow night. Actually, um, I don't know when this goes out, but Friday night in Nottingham, um, which is the first, the first of the second leg of the tour. Um, and we're going up, up to, on to London, down to London, up to Scotland, Edinburgh, and Aberdeen. So we're going to be on the road a little bit. So I'll be, I'll be seeing quite a lot of him, which is, which is fine um, because he's a good lad. He is. I suppose my final one for for you, Carl, is like, obviously we've seen you commentating. You're on tour. We've seen you enjoy being a family man, a father, and a husband, a poker ambassador as well, I believe. Four world titles. You must be content, which I think sometimes is a luxury that a lot of fighters don't have. How how content? Are you with your life you have now after boxing? Yeah, very. I've been I've been fortunate, very lucky. I, I met Eddie Hearn at the right time at the end of my career. I probably could have met him a bit earlier, but you know everything happens for a reason. As George Groves kept reminding me on the, on the run up to him getting chinned. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I retired on the crest of that wave that was Wembley Stadium. I made a lot of money under Eddie Hearn and had a great finish to my career on Sky Sports. So I've got a lot to be grateful for. More importantly than that, I've got my health. 
and I've got my three beautiful kids. I'm with them every day, and it's amazing. My life's fantastic. It couldn't be better. Um, and there's more to life than going on, chasing the pound out, trying to get more money that you're just going to either not spend or you're going to waste because you don't need any more when you're clever with your money. And this is one thing I think that fighters should get when they make good money or not even good money, just an amount of money that they wouldn't have made if they'd have just been on a normal job on a civil street, how to invest that money and, and put it away in safe places and, and make that money work for them. So when you're asking me, am I content? Am I happy with the way I've retired? Absolutely. But I still do think, and I did think for, for a few years about fighting again. And that was just pure love of the sport. That was just because I was missing the big nights, you know, the Butte nights and the Kester nights at the O2 and that fight at Wembley in my last, the last, Fight my career. You're, you're content, which is great to hear. We're grateful to you. Absolutely. Nights and uh, thanks for coming on, mate. We look forward to catching up with you soon in person and maybe see you Saturday. Yeah, absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, I might, I might get down if I can. Thanks for having me. Top man. Cheers, Cole. Well, fresh back from Las Vegas. How's the jet lag, producer Scott? Fresh. Really? Well, I'm struggling, mate. I don't, know, I don't know what day it is, what time it is. I'm struggling, I must admit. Yeah, you know what? I was all right, actually. I had a good sleep on the plane. It was fresh the following day. Then I was working till half two the following day. And then that's almost made me feel jet lagged again. And yeah. now I'm playing catch Eddie's up. not going to give you a little pat on the back for, for admitting this. He doesn't listen to this podcast, mate. Don't worry about that. Don't worry <laughs> about does. that. The Frank does now he's on I'm, it. I'm just spitting, spitting the truth. <laughs> Frank wants to know what we said about him since he came <laughs> on. But a uh, great week. Really enjoyed it. Wicked experience. Uh, special atmosphere in a team mobile as well, and Canelo got the job done. I mean, it was an interesting fight. Yeah. I thought, I thought Canelo looked in cruise control, really, for, for the first two-thirds of the fight. Golovkin, I think someone might have told him in the corner, Jonathan Banks, look, you, you, you want to win this fight, you've got to really go for it here. And the last four rounds were perhaps a bit more competitive, but ultimately, I think, sadly, everyone uh, gets to a point in their career where they're just not, not the, the same legendary fighter that they once were. Is that what we saw, do you think? Yeah, I think I think Seoul opened up a sizable lead, to be fair. Maybe he took his foot off the gas a little bit himself. Like you say, that probably coincided when Jonathan Banks did say in the corner, we need to mix it up a little bit. But, you know, maybe the weight just wasn't for Gennady. And like you say, age uh, catches up with you. So it'd be interesting to see what he does next, if he does anything next. 100%. Um, Nottingham. So, first of all, without being too biased, I think Eddie and Frank do deserve a bit of credit for, for pushing on with this show. Obviously, everyone was disappointed to lose Lee Wood, which we, we touched on last week. But big opportunities for, for Terry Harper and Hannah Rankin and obviously Kid Galahad and Maxi Hughes now becomes the main event. Exciting show. I think there's still a good bit of interest. Good team turn out at the press conference today and I'm excited for these two fights. Yeah, and actually looking further ahead, you say there's big opportunities for, for those four. Actually, you know, people like Cyrus Pattinson and Sol Dakers now definitely who are on TV up, slots. Yeah, definitely, They've got yeah. TV slots. A lot big of eyes on well. them. And Chev as well. I think so, it's Chev's first slot on the live broadcast. So. Yeah, yeah. We saw the three uh, Team GB guys yeah. on stage today with Eddie. So, look, they've got a massive platform now to to show their skill set and you know land a, a big performance of their own to stake a claim to be on the next TV slot. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting card. Like you say, props to the guys for keeping everything together. It's a lot of fighters to get out before the sort of back end of the year, and we go on. Definitely, first 10 rounder for, for Sol Dakers, first title fight for Cyrus Pattinson as well, and a big step up for him. So, so those guys are, are moving up the ladder nicely. Obviously just announced the October 8th undercard, Eubank Ben, I can't believe how quickly that, that is, has rolled yeah. round. This is scary, really. But Felix Cash, Galalia Fire back in action. Shannon Courtney, great to see her back. Ellie Scottney fighting for the European title. So it's, it's stacking up nicely for, for obviously what's going to be a very special night at the O2. Yeah, I think um, I'm right by saying the, the Scottney Romero fight will also double up as like a, an eliminator. Yeah. I think when you look at the rankings, um, Mary Romero is very, very high up with the IBF. So 
a victory for, for Ellie on October the 8th could open doors for a world title shot next. I know that's what she wants. Galaria Fires fighting uh, a guy from Mexico who's in the top 15 with the WBC, WBO. You've got to be looking two or three fights down the line. He could be straight in line for a world he's, title he's shot. so impressive. Unbelievable. I mean, we all knew, obviously, coming off the Olympics and beyond that, what a talent this boy oh, wow. is. But seeing how quickly he's adapted to the pro game and how he's transitioned into the pro game, you, you often hear about some amateurs maybe taking a little bit of time to make that transition. He's hit the ground running and looks elite. He can already. really punch as well. He can punch, yeah. especially uh, those weights as well. You know, there's yeah. some... Big punching guys down there, and looks like he's throwing his name right. So many it. exciting fights down there, down there. Yeah, for sure. Jesse yeah, you know, we've, we're about we've got a lot of them. Sonny yeah. Edwards, a Glowy yep. Fire throw him into the mix. I mean, El Rey Martinez, you know, Chocolatito, Estrada, the list goes on. I mean, it's right. so, know, so exciting. A year from now, there's no reason why he's on the cusp, if not already had yeah, one. Yeah, 100%. Those fights. 100%. And I suppose from one show to the other, also in London, October 29th, we've announced that show, Katie Taylor back in the capital. Uh, excited to see Katie back. Obviously, it's a shame that. We, we didn't get to see the Serrano rerun straight away, but fingers crossed we get to see that next year. Yeah, they've obviously gone in another direction, but I think you know money talks, and ultimately that is the money fight for, for both ladies, I would say. So, look, you know, Katie's got to deal with uh, with her opponent the 29th. You say it's in London, but it will have a bit of an Irish flair, obviously with Gary yeah, Cully and uh, Keevan Ajarko as well. So, yeah, it should be interesting. We haven't done a show at Wembley Arena since the bubble, I don't think. Yeah, a while ago now. So yeah. it'd be nice to see some fans in it. Oh, Joshua Pulev was there, wasn't it? Ah, yeah, but even limited capacity, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to that. And then, obviously, Jordan Gill and Kika on that. What a fight. A cracking fight. Love that fight. That is a perfect fight, in my opinion, for Jordan to bridge between European and world level. Agree. So let's see if... Um, if he can pass through that with flying colours, or can Kiko pull out the haymaker? Well, and, I mean, uh, Kiko Martinez, wow, I can't believe he's, he's still in the shape he's in, he's still going. I mean, to be fair, I think there's probably a lot of people after the Warrington fight, cards on the table, we might have said, we'd maybe like to see that be the end of Kiko Martinez's career, but he obviously still feels within himself, and certainly with Jordan Gill, that he, that he can win this fight. You know, you can't write him off at Never. any stretch of the imagination. And fair play to Jordan, he didn't call him out, but he... he earmarked Kiko as that opponent to bridge that gap. So, yeah, really interesting fight. Obviously, Jordan's coming off the back of that almighty fight with Karen Godfrey, where yeah. you know, it was up and down, blood, Ooh. guts, thunder, and then... DDTs. Know, yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> so, lot. you know, you've got to see how he, he wrecks coming from that fight as well. So yeah. it's, a lot of, it's a lot of things in the plot for that fight, which could make it into a bit of a barn burn. Definitely. Johnny Fisher, I think he's already sold, always asked for 3,000 tickets already. So the run for Bull Army uh, in full voice, no doubt, at the OVO Arena in London. On October the 29th, new show in Japan. Yes. Kiyoguchi, talk to us about this one. So by the time this podcast has gone out, we will have announced that Kiyoguchi's uh, unification bout for the WBC and WBA world titles in Japan is set for November the 1st, live on the zone around Europe. So obviously he's coming off the back of a, a good win out in Mexico and now looking to, to clean up. So, you know, we've spoke about it on this podcast a couple of times now. Those lower weights, you often get action-packed world title fights. So yeah, tune into the zone. I think it's a Tuesday night as well. So can't see that clashing with too much apart from maybe a bit of footy so get on that and so many announcements coming it's i've not i've not really processed how busy we're going to be for the rest of the year i'm trying to just take one fight a week at a time but one fight that's sort of circulated in the last sort of 24 hours or so callum smith joshua boatsy i mean licking my lips thinking about that what a cracker that's an unbelievable fight yeah it's a good fight on paper yeah i, I, I don't know fight. i like both guys a hell of a lot i do so as well I'm yeah struggling to, the for that one. i'm struggling to process it i mean i can't imagine it's anywhere near completion you know no. i think it's it's well documented now that Eddie's made an offer uh, to Joshua Bawatsi. Um, you know, Callum's sitting pretty at number one with the WBC, but I think Baterbiev's having another operation, second one. So how long are you going to be waiting for? You know, He's obviously got a fight yard before. Can he hang around? He's been fairly inactive since winning the Super Series. On the flip side, Bawatsi has pulled out of this IBF 
final eliminator with Pascal for reasons that you know I don't think we need to go into. So I guess in a way this could double up as a final eliminator in its own right. You know, a win for Boazzi would presumably leapfrog Callum at number one for the WBC, an all British light heavyweight showdown maybe to end the year or early next year. I guess it kind of makes sense, right? On the same platform, yeah. a lot of money involved. I'd love to see but, it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's rare that you get a fight where you are genuinely invested in both guys yeah, and I'm, I'm struggling to process that at the minute. Well, one uh, final thing I do want to speak about for this week, behind the scenes, watching Darren Barker go through his rigorous rehearsals for his face-off debut. I thought he did a good job. You know what? Fair play. Credit where credit's credit due. Where credit's you know, due. He's, he's seen as the wingman to Chris Lloyd, shall we say. Um, but yeah, you know, he stepped up to the plate and, and delivered. You know, He was a little bit nervous beforehand. I think we all were, to be fair. Uh, it's the first time we've done a face-off in a live environment. You know, it's a lot of technology that needs to go smoothly to ensure this sort of thing runs runs well that did and Darren Barker was brilliant so hats off my favourite part was though right at the end where he knew he'd done it he'd had the handshake from, from this, the fighters Maxine and Kid Galahad they shook hands he knew that his job was done and I think he sort of forgot that he still had a, a little closing line to say so he just goes uh, respect uh, lads, that was lads. He said that, lads that was, twice. That was yeah. tremendous and I've saved him on my phone since as Darren Tremendous Barker so uh, I've not, I've not let him forget that so far today well if he makes a comeback that could be his ring name maybe <laughs> Darren Tremendous Baker <laughs> We move on now to our Everyone But The Fighter segment, the part of the show where we pay focus to just that, Everyone But The Fighter. Let me hand you back over to producer Scott, who's going to tell us who we have on the show this week. Thanks, Jamie. Well, we've covered various topics uh, in different areas of the sport, haven't we? We spoke to Frank Smith recently about business. We've had Stitch Duran. Coogan. I always shout Coogan. Coogan. We've had Mike <laughs> Coppinger. Yeah, we've had quite a few. So we're going to mix up a little bit this week. We're going to speak to Scott Robinson, who's founder of The Edge, high performance centre who focus on performance, nutrition and health management. Great stuff. Let's do it. Well, Scott Robinson, great to have you on Flash Knockdown today. Our own producer, Scott, who's also on the show today, has just given you a sterling intro. So I suppose, uh, in your own words, can you just explain to us what it is you do and what your role is uh, within the sport of boxing? Yeah, thanks very much, Jens, for having me on. And um, yeah, thanks, Scott uh, Hamilton, for the for the nice introduction. Uh, probably bodes well that we're both Spurs fans, so we could lose some listeners straight away off the bat from, from that. Oh, yeah, don't say that. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, yeah, so my name's Scott Robinson. Uh, I'm a nutritionist and physiologist. Um, run a company called The Edge HPL. Um, we specialise in high-performance nutrition and advanced physiological testing. Uh, working with a wide variety of clients, um, actually. So main kind of arenas are supporting those in elite sport. So boxing, uh, Formula One, uh, football mainly, uh, as well as others such as families and corporates and businesses and organisations. So yeah, keeps us on our toes. Are you still based uh, based up North Northampton Way, Scott? Yeah, so I'm I'm actually based South Birmingham, um, but the Human Performance Lab that we have is basically just a stone's throw from Silverstone race circuit. Yeah, so pretty central. And uh, one question I got to ask you: You mentioned footballers there. Are you still working with Mitrovic because he's flying? So if so, you must be uh, you must be doing sport very well in. Yeah, the funny thing is, we were texting each other about ten minutes before we uh, <laughs> we we came on air. So yeah, still working with Mitro, and great to see him doing so so well. Actually, um, work with him for I think it'd be. This is the fourth season that we've done together. Um, honestly, just such a great professional. Like he, he, dial, he dials in on his nutrition like a boxer. Like he's just so regimented, open to 
open to suggestions and things and follows everything to a T. So it's really nice to see him smashing it in the Prem and hopefully he continues to do so. You know, he's been up and down for the last couple of years, but last year I think he scored 42, 43 goals. And this year he's pretty much running at a goal a game. Have you changed anything in terms of what you guys have been doing together over the last two seasons from perhaps, you know, the season or two before that? Yeah, good question. The way in which we kind of work together, it evolves over time, really. So first kind of year is is putting the kind of fundamental pillars in place. And then once they're in place with the nutrition, then we can continually build and refine from there. So, you know, I've, I've got a good team around me who keeps on top of all of the latest advances in sports nutrition. So any new things that come in, we like to think, you know, will be the, the first or one of the first to hear about it. So we know that he's taken all of the best things, best strategies he can have. But I guess overall, I mean, not a not a, a huge deal has changed that's going to have such a massive impact on his on his kind of the single performances. But I think it's that accumulation of good practices and habits and behaviours over time that's probably serving him really well now. And I think also just getting the chance to play in the Prem when Fulham were in the Prem a couple of seasons ago. You know, he barely got a chance, did he? He barely got a start because I think they changed the the kind of formation that didn't really suit him. And then as soon as they kind of changed it back and he banged in, I think, yeah, it was about 43 last season and he started pretty well this season. He's just, um, he's taken his his chance and I think he really deserves it. Well, it's great to to hear that that, that partnership with yourself and Mitrovic is going well, but of course this is a boxing podcast. So let's just tell the fans uh, <laughs> a few of the fighters you're working with, just from the top of my head, the fires, uh, you work with Lawrence Coley with Ram Morali. Watsi, Dalton Smith, you've worked with Callum Smith as well, of course, Jordan Gill and beyond. All the, the fighters must differ, but is there anything generic you do with each fighter in terms of the testing? How different is the testing, uh, obviously, depending on, on the size and the frame of each fighter? Yeah, I think um, we, we we basically, the tests are pretty similar between the fighters, um, but then the advice and strategies that we put in place are completely different for each fighter, even if a fighter's competing in, in or around the same weight division um so the tests that we'll do are we'll do a comprehensive blood panel so we can look at all of the kind of key vitamins hormones minerals proteins that are essential for health as as well as optimal performance um check for any deficiencies look at things that might need correcting often in the nutrition space obviously people kind of promote supplements but actually sometimes we actually take supplements away because the fighters don't need them if the bloods are showing it's good uh, or the levels are good, then we don't need to throw anything in. Uh, likewise, if there's deficiencies, then we can correct them through food and then supplements if if need be. Um, we can also test their metabolism. So we can look at the, the speed and the strength and the health of an athlete's metabolism, which is really important for like fueling training sessions, knowing how many calories to provide a fighter on each day so that they can make the weight and make the weight well um and then we can also look at how efficient their metabolism is also so how much fat they rely on at rest and how much carbohydrate um and we do advanced sweat testing so we can look at how many electrolytes they lose in their sweat so each fighter you uh, uses a different amount of electrolytes when they sweat loses sorry not uses um so we can put learn about that and then put bespoke hydration strategies in place, which are really, really important after the weigh-in, but obviously throughout training camp. Do body comp analysis as well. Uh, and then also kind of like your cardiorespiratory fitness testing. So we can look at VO2 max ventilatory thresholds, give the fighters very specific heart rate training zones as well. Um, obviously, they can only do so many sessions in a week. So if we know what their precise zones are, we can pass that on to their their trainer or their SNC coach so that they can get the most out of uh, out of each session. 
So I suppose when you're when you're communicating with it with the fighters and you're doing all these testings when they're preparing to fight, you mentioned the trainers there. How often will you be in contact with the trainers so everyone sort of on the same page and understands what stage of camp the fighters at? Yeah, definitely. For me, it's really important. Um, and Jordan Gill came in for testing last Friday, and obviously his fight's just just been announced. Um, so we kind of got all the, the data back, put it into a report, and then we usually um, communicate between us. Um, so obviously Dave Caldwell being the, the manager and the trainer, and then Danny, uh, I'm just going to call him Danny Boxing Science because <laughs> everyone knows <laughs> Boxing Science. Uh, we kind of make sure that we're all on the same page because uh, it also feeds into what they do as well. Um, and if we can be a lot more pinpoint and everyone's on the same page, then that's where we can really tease out the margins. And also it keeps Jordan happy as well that that everyone's, you know, everyone's getting on, everyone's doing well, everyone's on the same page and singing off the same hinge sheet. How challenging then would you say, Scott, are the fight weeks? Presumably fight week obviously is significantly different to the fight camp, given the, the weigh-ins every Friday of those fight weeks. Um yeah, they are pretty challenging. I think, do you know what? It depends where they are. I feel, because we've worked with, like I said, you know, like Callum Smith, Ramler, Jordan, Tasha Jonas for quite a while now. We've got a um, a good blueprint in place. So we know how their body works on fight week, how it responds to certain foods, certain strategies. Um, but more so the kind of logistics can be quite difficult. And by that, I mean, think Jeddah, when uh, we're out there with uh, Ramler and Callum, um, you know, some of the some of the hotel didn't really speak much English, so the chefs didn't really understand too much um, about the food, which presented challenges. Um, they kind of like to over provide. So if I said we need X amount of this, X amount of that, X amount of this on the plate, it will come out like that. But then they provide loads on top because they think they're doing it to be nice and make us happy. <laughs> so I then had to say if Callum was sitting down or Ramla was sitting down at, at dinner, Callum would look at me like, flipping heck, I can have all this. And I'd just be like, oh, I'm really sorry, mate. The chefs have kind of got it a little bit wrong here and then I'd have to take it off their plate. How cruel um, is that? I know, I know. Um, and then also kind of like when even when went to um, the supermarkets and stuff to get the food, um, you know, a lot of their ingredient labels were in Arabic and not English. So I guess that kind of made it more, yeah, that made it more challenging, but we always kind of overcome it. I guess my role is to not mention anything really to Callum and Ramler and just, just find the solutions and make it as less stressful for them as possible and just get the job done, really. How much say do you have working with the teams when you think it's maybe time for, for the fighters to move up? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I have a massively influential um, role with that, but I like I do like to provide my own insights. And I think that's where the testing data can come in really handy. So, for example, we can look at how an athlete's body is changing over the course of time. So for Callum, you know, over the past three, four years of working together, um, we can actually see how much bone mineral density um, he's gaining each year, which no matter how good or bad your diet is, that is going to naturally change and you're going to, it's then naturally going to be harder to make the weight because you're basically growing into your frame. Um, so we can look at that and I'll then know that it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little bit tighter each time. Um, and then can obviously have a chat with the team and say that this is, these are the insights. This is what the data is telling us. Um, you know, I, I probably would suggest this. What do you guys think? And then go from there. In terms of Callum himself, obviously, I know you can't give too uh, explicit data away, but how has his body responded, in your opinion, to moving up to 175? Um, really well, actually. Um, you know, I think he's 
he he kind of he was he was he was lean but not too lean at, at super middle. His body fat was in you know you don't want your body fat to go too low because that's when you can start to have issues with energy levels and and kind of hormones and different things like that. So we made sure his body fat didn't go too low. But what's interesting is at, super, at, at light heavyweight, his body fat is actually quite similar to what it was at super middleweight. So he's still pretty lean on the scales. It's not like he's gone up the weight and then put on a load of body fat. Um, he's actually pretty much all of the weight that he's he's kind of put on through going from super middle to light heavy is muscle mass which is incredible really um which obviously helps with his speed strength and power massively and i think we've seen that in his last two performances with the two brilliant knockout wins we'll give you an opportunity here to to just to uh, plug your own one you, i believe you launched your own very recently fuel like a champion yeah um, it's about that the idea beyond that who you've had on and also i guess where fans can listen to it Oh, thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, it's um, yeah, we recently launched our new podcast, and basically, what we're looking to do with it is just interview athletes from all different sports and just get their perspectives on, you know, how they've essentially fueled their full potential, not just within sport but outside of sport as well, in the hope that we can help to encourage people to, you know, learn a little bit more about nutrition, understand better how to develop really good habits, get into a good routine. Um, and ultimately kind of develop good behaviors that can not just last them a week or two, but, you know, last them for a lifetime. Um, and yeah, it's it's called the Edge HPL Fuel Like a Champion podcast. Um, you can get it on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, also on our website, which is theedgehpl.com. Not the best at plugging these things, but hopefully I've done the right job there. You've done a good job, mate. Great stuff. Just these last couple of uh, points now, Scott, when I go over our on this section of the show, we ask all of our guests the same questions. It's always quite interesting to see how the different roles in the sport differentiate these last two points. So the first question is, when you're watching a fight, all the work is done, certainly from from your perspective, I suppose, but when you're watching the fight, how does a fight play out through the eyes of Scott Robinson, through one of your fighters? My heart's in my mouth the whole time. Honestly, sometimes I sit there and, that sounds pathetic, doesn't it? But sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm shaking a little bit. Yeah. Um, because I think you go through so much with these fighters and you see all of the work and dedication they put in. And do you know what's really impressive is that they just don't complain. They could be having the worst day, the worst week, the worst month in the year, and they don't complain. They just crack on. Their resilience is insane. Um, but I think, you know, getting to know them across the past few years and on, you know, like a personal basis as well. You, know, you realize how much they've put into it. Um, you really like them as people and want them to do well. So for me, I'm quite I'm confident because I know they've put in the work, but also a little bit nervous, uh, nervous as well. I suppose you very much share the highs and share the lows then that, that comes with the nature of the sport of boxing. Yeah. I mean, I was really lucky the first few fights that um I worked in, you know, one of the first was uh Callum Smith when he won the World Boxing Super Series, which was one of the biggest highs, I think, of my professional career to date and probably, you know, will be for a long time. Um, but then obviously you kind of exposed to the the lows as well. So, you know, for example, um, did some work with Anthony Crawler when he fought Lomachenko and you know, we spent almost two weeks out in LA beforehand, had an amazing time. You know, Crawler, ultimate professional again, put absolutely everything into it. And you know, he's again, you know, he's up against the probably the pound for pound best in the world at the time. So, uh, you know, nothing really lost in in that respect. But it's really difficult, you know, when you have to fly back and 
yeah, you, you you don't. The last thing you think about is sending the invoice or getting paid. You're just thinking, oh, it's just a bit of a downer, isn't it? You know, you really wish it had gone the other way. But I guess that's the sport of boxing and two two men, two women in the ring, and one has to win, one has to lose. And the final point I want to ask you is for any aspiring. Uh, boys and girls who might be studying this at uni or it's something they're turning their, their eyes, their attention to at this stage of their life. What would you say, Scott, you need to succeed in this role? Uh, it could be could be one, could be a few points, but based yeah. on perhaps your own experience, what would you say you need to, to reach the level you're at now? Um, I'd say you try and take the opportunities that are given to you. Like when I first started in boxing, I started working with Lawrence O'Coley, who was the first fighter, so he just turned pro. Um, you know, I was I was just finishing off my PhD at the time and got approached and I was like, yeah, do you know what? I'll take it. I'll, I'll give it a go. Met Lawrence, he was great. Um, and it kind of all just evolved from there, really. And I think, God, if, I, if I'd never have gotten that call or whatever from his S&C coach, Duncan, who's also a top guy, you know, might not have all panned out this way. So take your opportunities. Um, be be on it and just I know it sounds a bit cliche but just give it 110 percent of confidence in what you do and also just realize that boxers are not just professional athletes but they're humans as well and if you can treat them that way it, you know and, and build that trust and respect and along the way then it, it stands you in good stead and it's not the easy way you know you have to go above and beyond with things but you know, it's afforded me some really nice opportunities to meet some great people and, and travel around the world. And um, yeah, you know, I'm, that's why I'm always happy to help anyone who's coming up in, into the space and is interested in it. I'm always happy to kind of have a chat and just offer my two cents, a bit of a weird journey, mine, um, some highs, some lows, et cetera. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's that'll probably be my best short, short answer for that one. Well, some highs, some lows, many great nights, I'm sure, Scott, to come. And thanks so much for your time, mate. Always great to catch up. And yeah, uh, yeah we'll see you um, October 29th fight week when you're down with Jordan Gill. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Thanks, Scott. Well, it is that time of the week again, dance partners. On the face of it, it is quite simple. But let's see if that continues to be the case this week. We speak to a fighter who has had 20 or more fights in their professional career. They then get 30 seconds to name as many of their opponents as they can in that time. As the weeks go on, we'll formulate a leaderboard and the winner will receive a donation to give to a charity of their choice. Now, who could we get on this week was the question. We're here in Nottingham, of course. We wanted a boxer turned trainer, not just a boxer, but a former world champion and someone who always looks a million dollars. Who else? Anthony, million dollar crawler. Ant, good to see you, mate. How are you? Boys, how are we? Thanks for the introduction. That was quite, I worked on that. That, that long and hard. Like that, yeah. Long and hard overnight. But how's life, mate? How's it's good. Really good, thank you, mate. Yeah, no complaints. You know, everyone's good. Been mad busy, you know, with the culture. And we had a few lads out last week. A little bits of media stuff. Now back and forward to uh, Nottingham and Manchester this week. I've got Rhiannon Dixon on this weekend. And um, yeah, no, all good, all good, no complaints. How are you satisfied with her progress she's making so far? I believe she's improved an awful lot. On her first fight with Matchroom, she was probably a little bit over eager because she'd boxed um, the opponent Vader. She'd boxed her on um, her debut, she put her over. Not yeah, many people rematch, do it, that yeah. to her, but I'll be honest, Vader had improved dramatically and she rated Rhiannon very high she coming at late notice and she was very negative but it was very smart from her so she was like she was trying to force it Rhiannon was trying to impress then she fought out in Bilbao 
last time out, and um, she had a good win out there, and like she had to, she ended up had an elbow or something. Her, her eyes swelled up, so it was a bit of a worrying moment. But she put her over twice. Uh, she put the girl over twice, and it's one of them. It's like it's mad. This the, the opponent. She'd been to the Olympics. She was four and zero undefeated. I'm not saying oh she will beat her, but she wasn't bad. And then it was like she's. She's a girl who's had like seven white collar fights. And then, so I believe she's a very good talent and I believe she's made big improvements. Again, a little bit of a step up uh, on Saturday night. But I genuinely believe whatever she she's she's a good all-rounder. Like, she used to like dance. She can, like with the S&C, we might come in. The weight she throws about, from real, she can sprint. She can do it all. She can do it all. But I really believe, you know, she's been sparring with some you know, quality girls throughout, and they all speak really well of her, you know, you Natasha Jonas, um, I know, like, Chantel speaks well of her as well, and she is, she's she's a good talent, you know, if you go through, and so I'm excited for her, I just, you know, I believe that, what you call it, like, a bit of a rough diamond, sort of, that's the saying, isn't it, that's what I believe I've got with her, um, I believe if she takes in what she's been doing in the gym, if she takes it in there Saturday, I'll, um, I'll be very happy and I believe you'll see a little bit of something to get excited about with her. No, great stuff. Look forward to seeing Rhiannon back. Well, Ant, you are guest number eight. Eight yes. episode. Well, this is the eighth episode and Eddie's not mm-hmm. sacked us just yet, so we must be doing something half right. Always not, right. not listening to it yet. <laughs> One or two. Doing right. um, Dance Partners Leaderboard. Just having a look at the stats here. Maxi Hughes, obviously, tonight. Uh, this Saturday's main event, rather. Yeah. Tops the leaderboard on 18. Uh, you've got 18. Josh Warrington in 15. Barker. And Jordan Gill joint in third on 14. You've got Tony Bell, you 13. Jesse Vargas on 10. And John Ryder down in nine. Sorry about John that, John, Ryder, to remind you of that. Disgrace. So John Ryder <laughs> is the benchmark that you want to beat. Uh, you don't, I don't, you don't beat you John Ryder. You don't want the spoon, mate. I, I, yeah, don't but I thought I no longer deserve no. to stay in boxing. No, you don't, mate. I, I mean, you, you were actually, Crow, the first person I ever interviewed when I worked for Matchroom. Really? And that will sour that experience if you finish below John Ryder. Yeah. So pressure's on that yeah. in that sense. Well, and you had 45 professional fights, boxing in front of sold out. Oh, Jesus, I should do all right. You should yeah. do, but how, how's the nerves compared yeah, to the bigger Yeah, it's kicked in a bit now. Yeah. It was like, so pressure's on yeah, yeah, it's kicked in a bit now. But Are you ready? Do you know what pressure, what does pressure make? I don't know, we'll find out it in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start the clock, Ant. Tell in me when. Three, two, one. Rashid, McQuaid, Krasnopolsky, Krakulis, um, Morris, Farrell, Jordan, Lomachenko, Linares. Whoa, Frumbled. Jesus. Geffen. Jesus. Frumbled. Allen. Alameda. Bagler said that. Jeez, I thought I would win this easy. <laughs> Watson. Matthews. Time. So, Anthony Crawler, the uh, scorecards are in. Firstly, how do you think you did? Started well. I started so well. I was fast out of the blocks. I, you know what? I let myself down badly. I mean, I didn't. I didn't do John Ryder bad, but I'm. Mean, <laughs> you let me down. I'm ashamed of my performance. I, I genuinely be, thought yeah. as soon as you said Maxi, then I thought, oh wow, no, I'll, I'll beat that without a shadow of a doubt. Well, here we go. Our MC says, Anthony Crawler, you're in second place with 16. Oh yes, and oh, happy oh, days. No. That's not bad. Well, it's not not Silver in my household. Second, mate. Silver medal. Silver, I always got told silver medal is. You don't. You don't if you're not first, you're last. Best loser. Just <laughs> <laughs> as a Spurs fan, come second, second a couple of years ago. Yeah, don't get it. Mate, I'd take a second as well. Any, uh, I'd take a second right now. For any the notable 
notable names missed off? Oh, John Murray. John Murray. John Murray. Ones, that was a great night at Matchroom Night. Did you mention that? Rosso. I mentioned Linares, yeah. Barroso, Perez, with yeah. Lemon, Perez, some of the big ones. I bet, yeah. One. What an idiot. <laughs> what an idiot. But then even like daft ones, like, you know, where it was like in four and six rounders, Nesbitt, yeah. Riley. Just, yeah, to be fair, one. looking back, Josh Warrington forgot pretty much every single one of his main fights. Yeah, so. he did. So, jokes, well, jokes on Joshua. Shame on him. He's soured Josh's gold medal. Oh, no, he's not. You've beaten now. You're overtaking him. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, Maxi ah. Hughes still remains the man to beat. I thought the charity bet was coming home. <laughs> well, and uh, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Great thanks to catch up with always. Best always. of luck with, uh, with yeah, Rihanna this Saturday, of course. Thank you. Well, on Saturday night, former world super featherweight champion Terry Harper steps up a whopping 24 pounds in weight from her last fight, which of course was at lightweight earlier on this year, to take on reigning super welterweight world champion Hannah Rankin. The pair faced off around the table earlier on this week. Darren Barker made his debut as the middleman moderator. Things got a little bit heated, a little bit spicy. Here's what went down. Ladies, the fight is only a few days away now. How are we both feeling? Feel great, ready to go. Excited, yeah, glad to be here. Um, felt like, fight, like the fight date was well, just getting dragged on and on and then once we finally got it nailed on and announced, um, it's been fully focused on this day. I guess the first question I've got to ask you, Terry, is why the step up to super welterweight and why Hannah? Want to be world champion again. Um, I've been there, been at the top. Obviously, um, devastating defeat back in Sheffield. Um, just, if I'm honest, I feel like Hannah's an opponent, a beatable, beatable opponent, and um, I feel that's. Uh, Great opportunity to become world champion again. Even though it's three divisions above what you're used to? Um, yeah. I, w I naturally walk around 10, 12, 11 stone. So Hannah's calling, Hannah and her team's calling this reckless. I feel like cutting down to nine stone for that was the reckless part of this, of my boxing career. Yeah, you've been stated to, to call this reckless. Do you stand by that? I do stand by that. I, I think, you know, Terry and her team, uh, you know, it's uh, people, some people are calling it brave, but for me it's reckless. You know, you're going up um, multiple weight divisions, not just one, not just two, you're going all the way up. And so, there's a massive difference. And you think that will be the difference, the size? Yeah, it will be a difference, uh, you know, it's, it's different coming up to weight than it is going down to one. I've been in that position, you know, I've come up to 160, I wasn't a 160 fighter. And that was only one weight class up. So that's definitely going to be a difference in the fight for me. You're obviously coming down weight as well. Do you have to lose much to get down to Super Welter? I work hard to get to where <laughs> I need to be, uh, as all fighters do. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to step on the scales on Friday and then get it on on Saturday. Was you surprised at all, I guess, one, when this fight was presented to you and two, that Terry accepted the fight? <laughs> they came to us with the fight. Um, it was offered to me. It wasn't uh, that I offered it out to them. You know, I was very surprised. You know, I was really, you know, <laughs> pretty shocked actually that the team decided to do that. I mean, there was a devastating knockout by Baumgartner. So, you know, to come up and then fight in a weight class that you've never even fought in before is uh, reckless. Like I said. Who? I'll ask you both this question. Who is the A side going into this fight? I'll start. I'm the A side, obviously. Ed is, Ed is paid Anna. This is the biggest payday of her career. 
Obviously, Eddie and Matchroom believe in me. They've invested a lot of money in me. Um, I'm the home fighter. I'm in the home corner. And I've got to do my you can, job. You can believe you're the A-side. I'm coming into this as a world champion. I'm along with the two world titles. Yeah. So, um, yes, you might be a Matchroom fighter. Yes, this is a Matchroom show. But it doesn't make you the A-side. What do you think? It's only one reason why, um, why Hannah's on this show. Otherwise, she's fighting on the small hall shows, fight zone. This is Hannah's opportunity to be back on, on the big, uh, big screens. I do this every fight, um, day in, day out. This is my life. And um, like I said, Eddie and Matchroom have invested in me for them belts. What, how does that make you feel when you, you look back at your defeat to uh, Savannah Marshall, you've rebuilt since, you're now a world champion. Do you feel there's a bit of disrespect from Terry to call herself the A-side? <laughs> a bit of disrespect. There's a massive amount of disrespect there. Um, you know, the loss to Savannah Marshall, I stepped up a, a weight class, yeah. just one. I stepped up a weight class and uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, and I'm not a 160 fighter. But it was a fantastic opportunity during the pandemic to fight, especially behind closed doors. I can say I did that, take that off. Um, however, there's a lot of disrespect coming from your team. And um, yes, I've got the two titles. I've just headlined at the Hydro in my home city, in my, in my country. Um, massive show, first female to do it, breaking history again. You know, it's... I'm not just on small hall shows. I've been on multiple shows all around the world. So, yeah, I'm the A-side in this. I'm coming as, into this as the double world champion. You better believe it. You, you mentioned team there. What do you make of Steffi Ball's involvement in the build-up? Some of the comments he's made. Steffi Ball is childish, <laughs> immature, and, you know, but everybody knows that. He likes to talk a lot. And it's because Terry doesn't talk for herself. He himself said online, oh, she's on mute until the fight, you know, because he's protecting her like he's always protected her. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's me and Terry in the ring on fight night. It's not me and Steffi. You can get in if he wants, but it's not us. So at the end of the day, you're the one getting in there and it's on him. And lastly, how and who wins this fight? I win this fight. I win this fight either by knockout, stoppage, or points. I don't care, my arm gets raised. I win this fight, 100%. What, just too big, too strong? And some other things, but mm. I, you'll see that on Saturday night. Terry? She's got a few new tricks up her sleeve, apparently. Um, I win, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. Um, I won't be here if not, if I didn't believe in myself. Um, there's no way, there's no way I'm gonna lose to Hannah. No way. To close the show today, as always, we're going to chat through some shouts by you, the fans, in answer to our question, what was the best thing to happen in boxing last week? Delighted to say, joining us this week, heavyweight hope, Solomon Dakers. We're joined by rising heavyweight star, Sol Dakers, Sol weigh-in day. Uh, you must feel pretty good compared to some of the other guys and girls on the card that you're not here, you're not struggling, just bumped into Hannah Rankin upstairs. She she looks fresh, but obviously not having to make the weight is always a plus opportunity for a heavyweight. Yeah, I mean, I've always got a smile on my face fight week, man. Everyone else is usually a bit gloomy, aren't they? But I'm eating good, had a nice big breakfast and I'm ready to jump on the scales. And fight number five for you now. Yeah, I suppose, you, you know, I spoke to Chev about this. When you're 
with the GB guys, you know, in in the squad, you're obviously used to doing various media bits and Bob sponsorship stuff. But are you getting used to all this now? How, how different is it? Would you describe from from the amateur days? Yeah, it's it's different. But yeah, like you say, I'm getting used to it. You know, every, every fight there's a more of a big performance. Whereas in the uh, GB days, you know, you might go to some back end country and, and fight three days on the trot. You know, there's not really much going on there, and uh, it's a bit more glitz and glamour. But the job's still the same. At the end of the day, you get in the ring and you're having a fight. So it's all part and parcel of the game. Late notice opponent switch uh, for you. Something obviously you'll be very used to in the amateurs. We spoke about that, didn't we, on media day. Bracamonte comes in. We spoke about, look, everyone remembers him coming over having an absolute tear up with Dave Allen. Scott, remember that fight? It was. Yeah. I mean, Dave was disappointed that it, it turned out that way, but it was an absolute war. Tough yeah, guy. I think he kind of dragged into um, Bracamonte what he does. You know, he sort of stands there and makes it a bit. Rough and rough and dirty. We went, he went ten rounds with Jarrell Miller recently. Do you know what I mean, I mean, big phrase took him out That's early it. doors. What's your your mindset? What do you want to? What do you? What will satisfy yeah, you? I mean, for me, I really I've got to take him out of there. Really, um, I know I can box his head off all day. You know, I got ten rounds to do it. I think with my engine and you know, I've, I've been working on my my power the last few training camps. You know, I've put a few kilos on of uh, not you know not fat, good weight, working on my strength, and um, you know, I want to be getting him out of there. For, you know, five rounds or something like that. Uh, because I could, like I said, I box his head off all day. Um, I need to start making statements. Good stuff. We're looking forward to that. We're going to throw it to Scott now. He's got a few fan questions for us. Hammer time over to you. Yeah, so we reached out to uh, to you guys on our YouTube community page to ask what was the best thing to happen in boxing last week and a couple of shouts. Um, we'll start with Robert Orange underscore, who suggests the Canelo Triple G trilogy has well and truly been finished with a convincing win. It sets up a Bibol trilogy. Interesting. He's jumping. Straight, Straight into, into a trilogy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Canal Triple G. Did you watch it, Sol? Did you watch the fight? Yeah, I watched it back the next morning. Yeah, I didn't get up in the night. Um, but yeah, I watched it back. And Triple G, I think he's just just gone past that that point of um, where he was competitive, but he's not got that same sharpness he used to. You know, he's, he's slowed down just that touch off that champion le championship level, I think. And Canelo was too sharp. So it was a convincing win, really. Canelo's got... Uh, redemption on his mind. He wants to go back up to 175, which some people will question, is that the right move? He wants Bivo again. How do, do you think he can overturn that result? Do you think he can beat Bivol at 175? He can. I mean, it's, it's possible, but Bivol, it's not like he, he did a one-punch knockout or anything, you know, fluke the win. He was quite a convincing win. He's a great boxer, Bivol, um, not to be underestimated. And if Canelo wants to beat Bivol, he needs to really make some serious um, improvements because Bivol's a serious uh, operator. It was overlooked a bit, wasn't it? Bivol's yeah. amateur pedigree going into that fight. You, yeah. know, you forget how much of a pure boxer he actually is. Quality boxer, you know, his left hand Bivol was exceptional, you know, controlled the jab, um, tight, the range, everything was lovely, and he put his combinations together. It was a, it was a really good win that was Bivol, and it's, it's tricky to come back against someone that's technically outclassed you because. It's hard to really learn a lot of different sort of technique and skill-wise, you know, over a short period of time. So it's one of those ones. Next shout is from Peter Nuttall, who suggests the Gwyn Woodruff British lightweight title fight was a cracker. More of this. Yeah, definitely love Gavin Gwyn. So proud of him to, to finally win that British title. I mean, he had a couple of cracks with Joe Caldina, James Tennyson on our shows. I suppose for you, Sol, the Lord Lonsdale belt, a very prestigious belt. Is that is that one you... You definitely want to have in your trophy cabinet when you hang up the gloves in, in many years. To Absolutely, you know the the British British title is historic. You know, even something like my, when I was younger, my nan would say, "Oh, the Lonsdale belt." You know, back in the day, you know, she knew the Lonsdale belt. You know, she she used to watch boxing back in the day, and and that's the one thing that 
it's historic in Britain and if you get that, you know, it's it's a good stamp on your career. You know, I was a British champion, it's something you can be proud of. It's looking like Fabio Wardy might fight Nathan Gorman for that vacant title, obviously, with what's happening with Joe Joyce. Where do you see yourself? How far away do you think you are from, from mixing it with those type of guys? Not not far at all. Um, I believe in myself. Uh, the only thing I need is the experience, a couple couple more fights. You know, even if someone said it was my next fight going for a British title, I'd still be confident, but you know how the game works. You need experience. Sometimes you need to experience it before you take it to the next level. So get a couple of 10 rounders in and I, I think I'm there or thereabouts. Well, Fabio's here this week. You had a little word with him saying I'm coming for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just kept it civil, you know. Fabio's all right, you know, and, and unless I've got, a, you know, pen to paper where I'm fighting somebody, I'm cool with him, you know. If, if we've got a fight, then it's, it's business. But other than that, you know, it's cool. Why are you stirring things up? It's unnecessary. Let them go their own route. <laughs> naturally meet up in the middle. Well, it's a collision course, though. <laughs> I suppose in your own head, you're always... You must be looking at fighters like him and, you know, you're beastful now, but you, there must be something in the back of your head always thinking, oh, one day it's probably going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a fighter at the end of the day and, and he's in my division, so it's like Roy Jones Jr. said, I've seen it on a video recently, he said, I can't have friends in my weight class if I want to be the best. And it's, it's like that, you know, you can't you can't be friends with someone because you want, you want to take them all out, don't you, in your weight division. It's cool people, I'm cool people, you know, it's the same with anyone else, unless I'm contracted to fight him, there's no qualms. When... And if that fight ever happens, we've got a nice little bit of promo yeah, there to I'll start off. So, on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next shout is from Green Isle G, who says, Great to see the pound for pound queen Katie Taylor back, but we need the Serrano rematch. 100%. I mean, so we were out obviously in New York for, for Taylor Serrano. It was incredible. I mean, did, did you watch the fight? Uh, have you watched that back? I mean, yeah, I watched think? the fight. I watched the fight. You know, it was a cracking fight. You know, some that for women's boxing lived up to the expectation, the level of the fight. And it was, it was a close one. It was back and forth, you know, both ways. Uh, and a rematch would be just great, you know, just churn out another another great women's fight, big event, and it's it's not even just for women's boxing, just for boxing in general, it's a great event and a great fight. You've trained and, and competed, of course, some of the best, most talented girls in the world. How happy are you that they're finally starting to get this platform and, and get the credit they deserve? Yeah, it's starting to trickle through now. I think now that there's more pedigree in the amateurs, the last few years, they're starting to come through to the pro ranks and it's starting to rise, and I think they're starting to get a bit more depth in the women's divisions. I think before there wasn't much depth and you know, it's still growing now. Um, but there was only a couple of you know top quality girls in the weight classes. But now I think there's more coming through and there's, it's just going to make better fights and bigger events. Do you put a lot of that down to, to Katie uh, for yeah. creating this, this sort of platform? She's certainly a trailblazer. Yeah, definitely. I think girls are now seeing it's possible for them. You know, they're seeing that women can headline a fight. You know, that women can be a superstar in boxing. And it's inspiring the young girls in the boxing gyms to think, you know what, there actually might be something out of this other than just boxing for a few uh, little trophies at the amateur shows. And out of the girls you know, obviously just coming off the recent Olympic cycle, turning pro, who are you picking, Sol, uh, to be the, potentially the next Katie Taylor, I suppose? Yeah, I think, you know what, I think there's more pull of the girls from GB that can be world champions. You know, you've got Sandy Ryan. She can definitely be a world champion, probably in the next couple of fights. Great stuff. Well, Sol, thanks for coming on. Best of luck tomorrow night. And... Uh... When Sol Dakers versus Fabio Wardley gets made, I want 10%. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Max won't mind. <laughs> I'm have to negotiate an extra 10%. <laughs> get that in writing, mate. Cheers, mate. Nice one. Top man. Cheers, Sol. Well, thanks, as always, for listening to Flash Knockdown. And thanks, as always, to our guests as well. Cole Froch, Anthony Crawler, Scott Robinson, Hannah Rankin, Terry Harper and Solomon Dakers. Myself and producer Scott will be back in the recording studio at Matram HQ a little bit earlier on 
next week. As always, send in your questions to flashknockdown at matchroom.com. That's flashknockdown at matchroom.com and we'll be sure to bring all your points up on next week's show. I've been Jamie Ward. Enjoy the fights tomorrow night live on The Zone. Kid Galahad against Maxi Hughes. Topping the bill, Terry Harper versus Hannah Rankin. Sol Dacus, Cyrus Patterson, Chev Clark, Janaid Bostan and many, many more in action on The Zone. Don't miss it and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>